Amen. You may be seated. You have on the back of your program, or actually on the inside of your the program from the funeral home, you have Ben's obituary. And Ben helped actually put together much of this obituary. In life we travel many paths, some disastrous and others rewarding, but none can provide complete fulfillment in life. Only because of God's grace do we have the path of the gospel to follow. Charles Benevisure at the age of 74 and after an extended battle with pancreatic cancer completed his journey on Friday, May the 6th, 2022. He now dwells in the house of the Lord forever. Soli Deo Gloria. To God alone be the glory. Ben is survived by his wife Janet, his brother James and sister-in-law Debbie and their two sons, Andre and Lyles. Did I pronounce it right? Lyles? Yes, okay. And by his first wife, Yen, and their daughter, Nicole and son, Justin, daughter-in-law, Jennifer, and the three granddaughters, Miley, Miley, uh, Malia, and Milana. I hope I did all right with that. Okay. Ben and his siblings spent their youth in Taos, New Mexico. I was just telling his brother how when we went, uh, when Caleb was at um, Philmont Scout Ranch, and we went to go spend some time with Caleb up there, we drove over to Taos, and I just got done reading the book Blood and Thunder, which is about the westward expansion and lots of this stuff about Kit Carson. And we were running all around Taos and seeing all the arts and all the history stuff. We came back, and I was telling Ben about it, and Ben just looked at me and said, I beat you. I grew up there. Oh, right. And so he spent his youth in Taos, New Mexico, and the Four Corners region. His parents were always taking them on road trips, which stimulated Ben's interest in the geogra- in geography and history and culture of the area. And this pattern continued when they moved to Scottsdale, Arizona, where Ben graduated from uh, uh, Coronado High School in 1965. Shortly after completing high school, Ben joined the Army and eventually was qualified both as an enlisted man and as an officer in the U.S. Army Special Forces. He served three consecutive tours from Mac V. Sog in Vietnam and a year with the 10th Special Forces Group on Bad Tolz, Germany. I hope I said that right, Natalie, Bad Tolz. No, I messed it up. Okay. Janet sent me a picture of Ben's beret with uh, the unit design on the inside, actually quilted into the inside of the beret. And it was then I finally realized Ben was a green beret. I thought, how much like Ben? He would never just walk around and tell people, I was a green beret, y'all. He would never do that, but he didn't, wasn't afraid to tell you where he, what, he had, some of the, what he had done or where he'd served, but just thought the humility of Ben was shown in that moment. After the Army, Ben pursued a career in the oil and gas industry, which satisfied his desire for travel and for working with people in diverse culture and cultural and social uh, environments. And he did travel a lot. Ben and Janet traveled to Indonesia and Chad and quite a few other places. During his 42-year career, he worked extensively throughout the world. And Ben was a member of Heritage Presbyterian Church, an active member of the choir, and a supporter of, the international, of international missions. He was humbled by the love shown to him and his wife through the prayers and support for our, our, from our congregational family and from close friends during his period of illness. You know, all that's in an obituary, and that's well-written, and it, it does give you a, an overview sense, but there's other aspects, and most of us could probably tell these stories, but... The other aspects that just don't print well, I guess, I don't know how else to put it, just has to do with character. Ben's character was displayed in many ways that an obituary just cannot communicate. And I have a couple of examples. 
Jack Byrne, I guess that's how you pronounce his name, B-Y-R-N-E, Jack Byrne wrote Janet recently about Ben's three-year tour in the Special Forces Unit in Vietnam. Spent three years there. And Jack said, I wish everyone would know how whenever during those three years that he, he would make it briefly back to the United States, he made long trips to meet the families of the men in his unit who didn't come home. Having been a military man myself, that really was very, very touching, just showing the character. There are many other examples, but here was a, a colleague of Ben's in Calgary sent Janet a note stating, quote, Ben was authentic. That sometimes ruffled the feathers of others, but when he felt he understood his situation, he, dug, he would dig in his heels and defend his position. And not many people have the personal strength to do that. He knew how to lead not only an operation, he knew how to lead men. What a glowing set of testimonies. And there's others. There's a letter of appreciation from the Canadian ambassador to Chad and several others as well. Just, just so much about Ben's character, and it showed up in many different ways. Things that just don't show up in an obituary. Wherever Ben went, his quality character went with him. Whether it was in combat, or out in foreign fields, or here at home. My friends, as you heard um, in the musical piece, Psalm 23, you probably heard a reflection or an echo of Psalm 23 in that obituary that Ben wrote. We're going to recite Psalm 23. Most of you probably have it from memory. You can look it up in that blue Bible if you would like. We're going to recite Psalm 23. The last time I visited Ben in the hospitals, right before he, not long before he went, went into hospice, um, we were praying, and this is the first time Ben never did this. Uh, I finished praying, and Ben immediately squeezed my hand, and he started praying. And he prayed, and he prayed a reflection on Psalm 23. And he prayed it in the first person, even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death. You're with me. You're rod and your staff. They're comforting me. Your mercy and grace are pursuing me all my days, and I will come into the house of the Lord forever. So I would like us all to... So think about Psalm 23. We're going to recite it together here. So it's a Psalm of David, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Let's pray. O eternal God, our compassionate Father, in whose presence there is no darkness and there is no death, we worship and adore You, the ever-living God. O Lord Jesus Christ, You who are the resurrection and the life, who has tasted death for Your people and has brought life and immortality to light, we praise Your name for the victory You have won over death and the grave. And O Holy Spirit, author and giver of life, comforter of those who sorrow, in You is our sure confidence and our everlasting hope. And now, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to the people on whom your favor rests. Amen.
I'd like to talk to you about 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 3 through, or 2 through 5. You can find that in that blue Bible as well. I, I mentioned to Ben on the last day I saw him, I said, Ben, I've been thinking about you, I've been thinking about your funeral. And this passage came to mind, and I read it to Ben, and as I was reading part of this, Janet began reciting from memory part of the verses, and I knew then this was the one. And so I'm going to read to you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 through the first part of verse 5. We give thanks to God always for you all, for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Before we actually dive too far into 1 Thessalonians 1, let me tell you the background of the letter just briefly, and then we're going to move into uh, recollecting, remembering, and rejoicing. So the letter is written to a very, very young church. The, the Thessalonican Christians, Paul had just planted them about two or three, for about two or three months. He'd only been with them for a very short time. And then came the posse to run him out of town. It was like the lynch mob in the old black and white movies. They chased Paul out of town. And so he left this very, very young church. And he was worried, chewing fingernails, everything, worried about this little church. Would they survive? Would they make it after he had been run out of town and so forth? And he was elated when Titus shows up and says to him, oh, they're still holding the line, they're still being faithful, they're still there and making it. And Paul was elated. And you could hear that elation in those first few verses of 1 Thessalonians 1. So let's do a a little recollecting before we actually get into these verses themselves. Because we have to think about a funeral. We're at a funeral and we need to to do some of this recollecting. My friends, we were made, from the very, very beginning, we were made to enjoy God unendingly. When God made humankind, He made us to perpetually be in fellowship with Him and without mortality and without misery. In a place of plenty, in a place of rich and lush fellowship and, and everything we would ever need. And in that plenty, things were beautiful. Things were going well. It's what we were intended for, to walk with God always this way. But God had said to the first humans, Adam and Eve, He'd said, look, the day that you choose to do your own thing, you will die. So not long into the story. That's exactly what happens. Adam and Eve sing with Frank Sinatra, and I did it my way. Right? They did their own thing. They chose to go their own way, and sure enough, death came into the door. In fact, as Paul says, for by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. All of us will be here one day in this same situation. Mortality rate, last I checked, is still 100%. None of us are getting out alive. And that's bad news, but we need to realize that this is where we're coming and this is what's going to happen, and it's because we belong to a race that has chosen, a people who have chosen to do things our own way, and thus that sin, with that sin has come death, and it has passed to all of us. In fact, as Paul says in another place, he says, for the wages of sin is death. Wages, we know those words. What do you get on the 15th and the 30th 
or we used to get in the military. What do you get on the middle of the month and the end of the month? Your paycheck, right? Your wages. And what does that paycheck say? Oh, you've worked hard for this money. Interesting, Paul says we worked hard in our sin. And here's the payoff, death. We're all going to end up here one day. And God could have left us there as part of His judgment, and it would have been just, and it would have been righteous, because we chose to turn our faces away from Him, and turn our backs to Him, and say, I don't want you. I want to do it my way, on my time, with my agenda. God could have left us there, and it would have been fitting and proper, but instead, God didn't. He did something about it. And so Paul goes on to say, for God demonstrated His own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still dying sinners, sinners deserving of the wages of our sin, death, Christ died for us, His own Son. He sent His own Son on our behalf to do something about this. And so again, that passage I began quoting to you, for the wages of sin is death is not done until you finish up the verse, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God did something about it. There is possible restoration. There is this open door for us to be restored in our fellowship with God and what that means forever and ever. And so, dear friends, I love the way an old African pastor from the 4th, 5th century put it in a prayer. Augustine put it in a prayer. He said, you made us for yourself. And so our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And that's how we find that rest is coming through Jesus. Or as a psalmist puts it, you will show me the path of life and your presence is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. My friends, that is what turns our story around. That the fact that God did something about our condition and the door is open and here's where we can actually have real rest and joy. And that's exactly what changed these Christians in Thessalonica. This changed their stories, which got Paul to remembering. And so notice verse 2 and verse 3. Paul is remembering We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God, our our God and Father, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that Paul is grateful for these believers. So much so that he prays. He prays for them often, he says, and he remembers them before God. That's an important statement. He remembers them before God. You know, let's just be honest. We are all really, really good at rehearsing other people's faults and failings. And we're sometimes really good at remembering other people's faults and failings before God. But notice what Paul says here. Paul remembers them before God with thanksgiving. He remembers them before God for certain traits and actions that are thank-worthy. And he says what they are. There's three of them. And by the way, these three actually reminded me of Ben. This is what got me to this passage. Your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Work, labor, steadfastness, or patient endurance, or resilience. Right? 
Those three traits sound like ordinary, normal stuff. Work, labor, steadfastness. But notice it's a work of faith. They worked with this faith that this was not all there was going to be. Worked with this faith and trust that because of what Jesus had done for them, then their labor was not in vain. Their toil, their work was not in vain. And Ben very often would say things like that. That's how he worked. It showed up in his character at work when he was in in Canada. Some of the stories that I've heard, the testimonies that I've heard there. His labor of love. Notice that he he praises Thessalonians for their labor of love. The fact that they labored and there's love in that labor. It wasn't just doing it to get the job done. Good enough for government work, y'all. None of that stuff. It was a labor of love. And also the steadfastness of hope. But it's not hope in hope. It's not hope in success. It's not hope in... Uh, triumph, it's hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. All of those things reminded me very often of Ben, his own working, constantly working, and the way he worked, and it, but his integrity always showing up. Oh, it's a work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness, and hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. What I want you to see here is that what Paul does is he remembers them before God for these things. Now, you may not know this, we're Presbyterians, which means we're Protestants, which means we don't pray for the dead. We don't pray for God to save the dead. He's already done that before they die, those who die in Christ. But we do, and fittingly, this is a great passage to remember, we do often still remember them before the Lord. It's very fitting to remember Ben and remember others who have gone on before the Lord. Lord, I am so grateful for the time that I had with Ben. I remember this conversation. Thank you for how it encouraged me. Thank you for how it built me up. Thank you for the guidance or the whatever. Right? Remembering them before the Lord. And so, dear friends, in the midst of all of this, it's fitting for us to cry, but it's also fitting for us to remember. And some of those memories will be pretty funny. You know what I'm saying? We're going to laugh a few times, and it's fitting too. But let us remember before the Lord. Let us remember before our God. And so remembering, and all of this remembering then brings Paul to rejoicing. But it is rejoicing in what is unexpected. It's verse 4 and the rest of verse 5. For we know, brothers, loved by God that he, that, um, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction of faith. Notice the rejoicing. The rejoicing is not that his work of, their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope has made them God's select people. The rejoicing, the celebrating that Paul is giving here is in the living goodness and the lively grace of God in them already and for them. In all of the positive actions that these Christians exhibited, Paul is uh, celebrating the activeness of God. That's interesting. Paul is not celebrating necessarily their activeness. He's appreciative and thankful for it and remembers that activeness before God. But what he's doing is he's actually rejoicing in in God's activeness in them. These people that Paul's writing to are clearly God's select people. They're clearly His select people, not because of their work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in Jesus. 
No, they're His select people because God's gospel, God's good news of life and liberty and forgiveness and fidelity came to them. Came to them in words like today, but also came in more than words. Came to them in power. Came to them in the Holy Spirit. Came to them in the, with a full conviction of faith. And because God's gospel came to them and became active in them, then came forth the work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul can remember them with thanksgiving while he's rejoicing in the activeness of God. This, meant, this then, my friends, is the central ground of our own rejoicing. As we remember Ben's work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the groundwork, it's the central ground that God grabbed hold of Ben with the gospel in power in the Holy Spirit and in full conviction of faith. It doesn't mean he was sinless. It doesn't mean he never did anything wrong. But it's the fact that despite all of that, God took him and made him his own and called him his son and adopted him and brought him into his family. Because of God's activeness in Ben, and we can say with great certainty, Ben is now experiencing the very rest that Augustine once wrote about and prayed about. You made us for yourself. So our hearts are restless until they find the rest in you. Ben is resting like never before. And he is swimming then because of God's activeness. He is swimming in the very joy that the psalmist declared in Psalm 16, you will show me the path of life and your presence is fullness of joy. And your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I don't know about you, but that's comforting. That's encouraging. And so let us remember Ben before our God and Father. And let us rejoice in God's activeness in Ben's life. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Let's pray. O God, who heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds, we implore you to look upon the family and the friends of Ben Bajur with the tenderest pity and compassion. For our joy has been turned into mourning. Do not leave us comfortless, but grant that we may be drawn closer to each other in our common sorrow. Fill our hearts, our souls, our minds with the light and the comfort of your presence in Christ Jesus. Enable us to be able with the eyes of faith to look beyond the tears and miseries of this part of life, to lift up our eyes and lift up our hearts into the glorious splendor of your everlasting presence. Comfort us fully with the realization that though this troubled life is short and fleeting, there is a never-ending destiny for all of your people an eternal weight of glory awaiting all of your children, a rest 
that we have been yearning for with you all of our days. In Christ's name, amen.